This is a crusade. This is a holy war against the deep state. Where are the dictators? Where are the strong men? Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution. I'm going to fight for Christians. I'm going to fight for white people. They have the Great Reset. We have the Great Awakening. And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol. I did nothing wrong. Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. Journalist Claire Goforth has been covering extremists for years. Her new series in The Daily Dot is called Naziland, and it's a deep dive into the efforts of various white power groups to integrate themselves into communities around the country and what the local residents are doing to fight back. I'm thrilled to have her on the pod today. Claire, welcome to Did Nothing Wrong. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So I'm curious, how did you get started covering extremists? So uh, in 2016, the run up to the election, I was the editor of Folio Weekly here in Jacksonville, Florida. And this Grand Dragon in the KKK, he had started, he and his group, they were flyering around town. And I wrote this satirical piece about him and his KKK buddies, right? He didn't take too kindly to that. No. Uh, Ken was Ken was pretty pissed because, you know, I made fun of them, their mullets and drinking Coors Light or whatever. <laughs> and so he offered me an interview. Right. And I thought, well, you know, I reached out to a mentor of mine, Ann Schindler, who was the first person to give me a shot in journalism, who's now here at the local NPR affiliate hosting First Goes Connect. And I asked her, like, how do I do this story? I want to do the interview, but I don't uh, necessarily want to just give this man air for his bigotry. Right. So she and I talked it through and I ultimately interviewed him and did a profile that published about a week before the 2016 election called The Monster Next Door. And that was, you know, I really worked hard to contextualize his views and to call him on his racism to his face, to call him on his lies to his face. Right. And that kind of like got the ball rolling. You know, we we saw the extremism ramping up so much at that time. Right. And then since then, when I came on The Daily Dot in 2019, as a political reporter, I have really specialized in reporting on far-right extremism, hate groups, and that kind of thing. And of course, their weird wacko buddies, QAnon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've noticed that The Daily Dot's actually had some of the best coverage. And, you know, if you're the ones responsible for that, thank you. There's been a lot of really good coverage of this movement that's come out in the last few years and you guys have been right there at the tip of it. So I'm actually really amazed with this project that you guys just released. It's called Naziland and it's a four-part series where you went around the country and looked at some real places where these kinds of white supremacists and white nationalists have gotten themselves a foothold in the local community. And you've gone to the local community and talked to people who actually live in these places and gotten a real what it's like kind of trying to deal with it when the Nazis move into your town type of feel to the project. And I'm really glad you guys got to publish it. Did you have to pitch them pretty hard to convince them of this? You know what? Actually, I did not. They created the investigative reporter position for me last July at my like urging. And uh, not long after that, 
uh, one of my editors, David Cavucci, he sent me an article about Christopher Polhouse of the Blood Tribe, that neo-Nazi who had moved to Northern Maine. And he said, you know, you've got a travel budget now. Uh, maybe you should consider doing a story about this. So I talked to my editor, Ramon Ramirez, and he was all about it. He's like, yes, you know, let's let's do it. And, you know, as we were talking through the story, um, planning the trip to Maine and like conceptualizing what it was going to look like, you know, I was like, this isn't just happening in Maine. This is happening in other places, which I knew like from personal experience, not just as an extremism reporter, but as somebody who is from Morgan County, West Virginia, which is where VDARE had bought the castle, the Berkeley Castle. And coming from that area, it was really like, and being an extremism reporter, it was like, ugh, worlds collide in the worst way. Yeah. And we decided through talking it out that it would be better, you know, it would give the reader more value, our national audience more value at the Daily Dot if we tried to go to, we didn't went to places around the country because this is a nationwide phenomenon. It's a part of ideological migration that's been going on for years. I want to say NPR did a really good story about it like two or three years ago, which I linked to in my reporting. And, you know, when you look at leftists moving around, it's like, we want to go places where reproductive rights are preserved, is what leftists will say. We want to go places that aren't attacking LGBTQ rights. Whereas on the conservative side of the spectrum, they are going to places where, you know, gun rights are the, the law of the land, that are cracking down on reproductive freedom, LGBTQ rights, anything to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, DEI as they term it. And then the really far right are doing what is really akin to Steve Bannon's strategy, the precinct strategy that he articulated probably back in 2015 or 2016, where they go to these little places and they run for all these offices that really don't get a lot of attention typically. And they sort of have this divide and conquer thing going on. And when you see it on these far right extremist groups, it's a, it's a broad spectrum of some of them are just moving there and sort of ingratiating themselves in the community. Some of them are moving there trying to create a headquarters for their operations. And some of them are moving there to intentionally trying to take over local politics, which is what we saw in Idaho. That is really what's going on in Idaho is the far right is trying to seize control of the state and Coeur d'Alene itself through the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't a hard sell and it's been a really interesting really interesting exercise and learning experience for me as an extremism reporter. Definitely. Definitely. I'll bet. So let's talk about your home area of West Virginia. You say you're from Pawpaw, West Virginia, which is not too far from Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, which is where the folks from an outfit called VDARE have moved. Can you talk a little bit about what VDARE is for those of us in the audience who might not be as familiar with what they are and what they do? Yeah, absolutely. So VDARE is a website that was started by Peter Brimlow. Peter Brimlow used to work for more mainstream news outlets. And then he got fired during some purge in the 90s. And he, like, I want to say it was New Year's Year's Eve or something in 1999, he started this website called VDARE. And since then, VDARE has really, it's hyper-focused on opposing immigration in any way. Really specifically, if you read if you read their stuff, it's clear that it's not really immigration because Peter's an immigrant himself from England. It's 
the immigration of black and brown people. Right. They published some really notorious white nationalists. They published Jason Kessler, who organized Unite the Right, that deadly rally in 2017. And then they'll publish more mainstream-ish people like Ann Coulter. So they're really widely seen as this bridge between the far, far right, white nationalism, and more mainstream republicanism. And one of the reasons why the Brimlows, Peter and his wife Lydia, who's the publisher of VDARE, bought the castle in Berkeley Springs, which they've said multiple times, is its proximity to Washington, D.C. It's only about an hour and 45 minutes from D.C. Okay. And they say that through these headquarters, they will be able to influence the federal government. Now, how true that is remains up for debate, but it is a fact that you will see Peter and Lydia hobnobbing with members of Congress, congressional staffers, um, having ties to people within the Trump administration. So, you know, their influence is undeniable. I think they do tend to exaggerate it. Right. But it's not as if they're shouting into the void. VDARE is a very prominent website. You'll see a post on VDARE one day, and then two days later, Jack Posobiec is repeating its talking points. Right. So they're just part of this huge web of, you know, the far right and how these views get sanitized and pushed into the mainstream. And the name of the publication itself is a dog whistle. It's named after Virginia Dare, who was apparently the first white child born in the colonies. It's it's really one of those things that when you look into it, you're like, oh, okay, see where this is. Yeah. And I remember we had Michael Hayden on the show not too long ago, and he talked mm-hmm. about how at things like the New York Young Republican Club dinner, people were treating Peter Brimlow like a rock star. Did you get to talk to him? Yeah. So the man obviously has an audience. And they paid $1.5 million for this place. It's called Berkeley Castle. And it's a castle, right? This is a legitimate, actual castle. Oh, it's a legit castle. castle. Yeah, I've done tours of it as a kid. Stone and turrets and towers and dungeons and everything yes. else probably a dungeon literally a dungeon oh, god shudder to think they paid <laughs> apparently about 1.5 million dollars for this castle which to me says this stuff is either really lucrative or somebody's funding these people to do what they do do we have any idea who's paying for this you know it's a dark money source i'd have to look at the southern poverty law center reporting on this but yeah they they got a bunch of donations for it They'd been looking for a place for a couple of years because nobody wanted to book their conferences. People would book their conferences and then they'd get like, you know, they would cancel because they're like, oh, great, you're going to bring the racists to town. No, we don't want to be that. Um, You know, the Hyatt's not really inclined to bring all the racists into the conference room. Right. So that, you know, they wanted a place where they could hold their conferences. And Lydia found it when they were everywhere they would go. She said that they she would look on Zillow and see what was in the area. And they were in the D.C. area and she saw the castle come up and she thought, you know, to them, not only is it close to D.C., but it's literally got thick stone walls so nobody can see because they have all these people who write for them who are uh, use non diplomas. Right. And so she found donors. I think it was three or four donors is what they've said. (laughs) Their identities are unknown. And some dark money group gave them over a million dollars for this, which is really interesting. Like, why would you want to give so much money to VDARE? What are you, how, what do you stand to gain? Right. What are you getting out of this? Exactly. That would be a really great question to find out who that is. I'd sure love to know. And one of the 
the stipulations about this is that it's supposed to be the headquarters of their nonprofit. They're not supposed to be living in this place, and they claim that they don't. But seems like Tish James and the New York State Attorney General seem to think otherwise. And they've been investigating what's going on down there, whether these people are using this as like a tax dodge or not. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, New York's argument is that their social media posts and various things indicate they're living at the castle, which both the Brimlows deny that they're living there. They say they're living in another building on castle grounds, which is possible. There are multiple buildings on the grounds that they could live in. But at the same time, there was a transfer of land and the castle to two different entities that Lydia controls. And some of the transfer was for a nominal fee, $10, I want to say, for a portion of this is it a, it's a multiple acre property on a mountainside. So New York isn't just going after the castle purchase and whether or not they live there. One of the things that the Brimlows are quite clearly panicking about as in relation to that investigation by New York is that there through discovery, they seek to unmask their writers. Mm. And they had fought really hard. The last I heard in December, the judge had ordered them to turn over full unredacted discovery in that case by the beginning of January. Now, turning that discovery over in the case doesn't necessarily make it public. But in the event that it does become some type of trial, you know, some charges are filed. Right, right. It could potentially become public. Lydia has said that there's a non-zero chance that New York will get in a kill shot against Vidare through that investigation. And Peter has also talked about how terrified they are. What do they call it? That right-wing term, lawfare, right? right, right instead right. of warfare. Yeah, they, they say that that's what's going on here. Right. But New York is not backing down. I mean, Vidare's registered there as a nonprofit. They need permission to change their registration have not gotten that. So yeah, that'll be really interesting to see. I think a lot of people would like to know the identities of their writers and donors. Right, right. And I think a lot of people have a vested interest in not having people find out because one of the things we've been told, we also had Katie McHugh on the program who used to be a senior editor at Breitbart. She worked for Steve Bannon. She knew a lot of these people very well. And she said a lot of them the mainstream conservative types that you hear about right for VDARE under assumed names. So I think if they ever do find out who these people actually are, you're going to hear a lot of the more quote unquote mainstream conservative type of people have been writing essentially white nationalist propaganda for these guys for a number of years too. Mm -hmm. And it seems also a little weird. You talked in the article about how they're almost trying to retcon West Virginia's history by saying that, they're going to make a park out of the Confederate monuments that other people didn't want. They want to fly the Confederate flag over the castle. And, you know, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I was under the impression West Virginia was on the other side during the Civil War. <laughs> yeah, quite proudly on the other side. I mean, you take West Virginia history and public school there and they drill it into you June 20th, 1863. You know, West <laughs> Virginia becoming a state specifically because it did not want to fight for with Virginia right, right. or the Confederacy. West Virginia's terrain does not lend itself to plantations. There were relatively few slave owners and slaves in the state. And in Mountaineers, you know, not the football team, but the right. Mountaineer people, um, really are a freedom-loving people, and that's freedom for everyone. So what I saw Peter saying, that he wanted to fly the Confederate flag over the castle, it just felt like a slap in the face of West Virginia history. Here's a state that is the only state that 
literally became one because they didn't want to fight in the Civil War for the Confederacy. They wanted to be part of the Union. You know, it's just like, do you even understand where you live? Yeah. Confederate monuments in West Virginia? That doesn't make any sense. Like, we're not talking about historical markers here. We're talking about erecting statues of slave owners in a state that literally was formed because it didn't want to fight the slave owners war. It's crazy. Yeah, it's the most ahistorical take that I think you can possibly have. Mm -hmm. And I can see why you probably you and a lot of other right thinking people probably got really upset about this because (laughs) it's just so why? What's wrong with you? Just, uh, yeah. You mentioned also that they take credit to some extent for coming up with the idea of the great replacement and the great replacement has been this thread that's been holding the right on a lot of levels together. It's not just these people talking about it. Tucker Carlson, former Fox news host was a big proponent of the great replacement theory. You saw Vivek Ramaswamy, presidential candidate in the GOP, mention this. Let's talk a little bit about what they mean when they say great replacement. Yeah. And it's so ironic to hear Vivek Ramaswamy talk about it because the theory (laughs) is literally that the white majority is intentionally being displaced by immigrants from black and brown countries. That's really the heart of it. It's just totally racist and untrue Mm -hmm. but there's this fear that some white americans white conservative americans have that that is happening that you know someday they're going to be the minority and really when you look at it you know when you talk about it like that it's just griffiths because they they don't want to be out of the power they don't want to be out of power that's all it's about it just boils down to that you know and then they're sort of good at coming up with these reasons that are pseudo intellectual. And if you're not really listening clearly to what they're saying or paying close attention, it just kind of sounds like, eh, it sounds reasonable. But when you look at what it's actually being said, it's just like, we want white power. That's yeah. what's really going on there. And, you know, it's very clear when Lydia is talking about the historic American nation of which I am a daughter <laughs> on a podcast. And then, you know, saying that, she feels like secession is possible. She'd like it to be peaceful, but she doesn't really think that's realistic. And then says that it's ours. I, they can all leave, right? Yeah. Like she literally believes, according to her statements, that America belongs to the whites who took it from indigenous people huh. and that we white Americans should get it back. And I mean, that is, there's just no, there's no way to describe it other than bigoted. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just insane. And the idea that she's married to an Englishman, that is mm. just, <laughs> that's just nuts. Yes. We, we fought a war to get rid of those people, for God's sakes. You know, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> your series moves on to North Idaho, and this is where it gets personal for me. Because I'm reading, you're talking to people like Kate Bitts about hearing rumors of Nazis starting fights at punk rock shows. I was at those shows. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm about 10 years older than she is. And I remember growing up in Spokane, Washington, having these people come through, having friends in Coeur d'Alene who had to deal with it, having friends that were recruited out of high school by groups like the Aryan Nations. And at one point, I honestly thought that they had it beat. I thought that they after the case that the Southern Poverty Law Center sued the Aryan Nations for 
$10 million as a result of their overzealous security guards firing off shots at random people, they were done. And I think a lot of people that lived there too probably felt the same way. But in the last few years, there's been a resurgence of this new breed of these guys, guys that were involved in Charlottesville, guys like Vince James, guys like Dave Riley, guys like Millennial Matt Colligan. All of these people have moved themselves to North Idaho in what looks like, you said, the Steve Bannon precinct strategy, where they're going to come in and they're going to try and get into things like the school board. And they're going to run for offices that most people have to be talked into running, and then they're going to try and take over from there. What were your impressions of the people that are against this in North Idaho that you talked to and how they're all feeling about this out there? People there are pissed about this. And those people specifically are conservatives. Certainly the liberals are also angry, but liberals are a very small minority in Coeur d'Alene. It was really interesting to me because often when a community is experiencing these type of issues, you're going to see like leftists rise up and try to fight back. And in Coeur d'Alene, like that's just not practical nope. because there's not enough of them. And the Republicans there, like Dan Gugan, who's the city councilman, and other prominent Republicans around the state, they have formed the North Idaho Republicans, which is specifically designed and intended to counteract the extremists. You know, Dan right. Gugan really goes in hard on the KCRCC, the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee, and their, for their associations with Vincent James Fox and Dave Riley and others, you know, where like Dave Riley, he attended Unite the Right. He supposedly helped them craft their messaging. Vincent James is the treasurer of Nick Fuentes' PAC, right? Nick Fuentes, the white nationalist. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, Dave Riley has talked about being a stan of Nick Fuentes. They've both made wildly anti-Semitic statements over the years, mm -hmm. including the present day. And yet, you know, powerful people in Idaho have no problem like hiring them to use for propaganda. And to Dave Riley supposedly runs a, one of those, quote, news outlets that really just exists to pump propaganda out into the world. Right. <laughs> to smear their opposition. And the opposition, like they're organized, they're committed. Their strategy seems to be more positive, you know, where it's like dark and, you know, you look at these far right people when they talk about what they want. It's one, it's hard for them to articulate it. Right. It's mostly, it's just like, they hate everything. You know, Dan Gukin make it, made a great point. He's like, these people come here because they're pissed off living in California. And they come here and they think that it's going to be different, but they're still pissed off. They're pissed off at me. They're pissed off at the governor, at oh, people yeah. who made this a, a conservative state. And so it's just like this ideology just really based on rage and anger. And people from what I saw in Coeur d'Alene are counteracting that with, you know, being reasonable and saying, you know, we stand up for the LGBTQ community. We believe in equality. You know, we can differ on policies, but, you know, just hating everybody who's not exactly like you is bullshit. In, they have an uphill battle. I'll be frank with you, Griff. It's not going to be easy because KCRCC and other really powerful Idaho Republicans have really embraced the far right. Right. That's the state of Amon Bundy, right? Of course, currently, uh -huh. maybe not his state anymore since he's yeah. on the run. <laughs> we don't know where Amon <laughs> Bundy is these days. Like you said, there just isn't enough of a left in North Idaho. All those kids move to Spokane. Mm -hmm. All those kids move to Washington, Seattle, Portland, someplace else when they get older because it's that much of an uphill battle. Everything is 
baseline, very, very conservative. There are a handful of liberals, but for the most part, it is the conservatives who are going to have to clean house if they want to get rid of this again. And before, it was one thing, and this is my own personal theory, feel free to shoot me down if you really think I'm wrong here, but when it was the Aryan nations, these people were making it very clear that what they wanted was their own separate whites-only homeland. They had their own flag. They had their own signifiers. They didn't want to be part of America. They wanted to be the Aryan nation, right? Whereas a lot of these folks that have moved in are perfectly fine with the idea that's already been really prevalent in groups like the American Redoubt, people like Matt Shea, the idea that this is the actual real America, and they're using American signage and American phrasing, but we're the real America and we're getting rid of these people that don't belong in America. And I think the messaging shift has helped them quite a bit in terms of getting different people to respond to this, because that messaging has been going on for quite some time up there. There's been, you know, the militia movement, the patriot movement for years, and these people were all about America. And now you've got your guys like Vince James who are essentially saying the same thing, but they're couching it in great replacement terms. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, they've got a foothold, more than that almost, in local politics and probably going to be a matter of time before one of them ends up, you know, running for governor or senator and doing relatively well, unfortunately. It does look like that's where it's headed. You know, the question is whether or not what we may look at today is more centrist Republicans will push back enough. They did have some success in Coeur d'Alene in that area with the North Idaho Republicans, where the first go-round, their candidates lost everything. The second go-round, they got a couple of the positions that they ran for. But, you know, you look at what's going on at North Idaho College, that 90-year-old community college there where far-right people backed by KCRCC have taken over the board, and then they've just like made a mess of things. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to see what happens with the library um, association there, where it's also been taken over. And this may be the thing that's the tipping point for people, because, you know, you and I, Griff, we're like, we know politics. We are maybe obsessed a little bit, a little right? Bit. Just a little bit. It's our jobs. Mm -hmm. It's our job to be informed. That's what I say when I read my, you know, right. 5,000 article of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh -huh. we're like really immersed in it. But most voters are not like that. They're not reading news, following news six, seven, eight hours a day. And if they are, they're probably following just one source. And I'm sure we can right. guess what that source may be. Uh -huh. <laughs> but more people are low information voters, but they're not no information voters, right? right they right. see that... North Idaho College is just hemorrhaging money because of what most people would describe. And I think it's fair to say gross incompetence by the board. And North Idaho College is this close to losing their accreditation at this point, right? Yeah, it's hanging by a thread, literally. Um, well, not literally. I hate using that <laughs> word incorrectly, but it is very close to losing accreditation. Morale is down. What's going to happen at the libraries when they just start pulling all these books? I mean, I live in Florida. I see what happens. They pass these laws and it's like, we're going to protect the kids. Oh, boy. And then the next thing you know, they're pulling books about civil rights leaders. Shocking. You know, it, it's crazy. And people are going to get tired of that. I think, I would assume, you know, they, yeah. what, there was a great Vanity Fair piece about some school board further, I think it's further north in Coeur d'Alene. I don't know if you read the piece and they had been taken over and people there, and it's just like another one of those Republican areas, but people there 
you know, the school was dirt. It was like there were mouse droppings everywhere. The teachers were just quitting left and right. And it was becoming just a absolute just a travesty of education and people there organized on the ground and they fought back and they were able to take the school board back over from the perspective of like, you know what, these cultural wars, those are not helping us. Right. Like we need to educate the kids. At a a certain point, people get sick of drag queens or reading stories to kids and all this outrage over something that is so innocent, innocuous. And what they really want is their kids to be able to go to school and come home and know how to read and know how to do math. Right. And what you were saying is probably right. That might be the issue that really gets a lot of the people who are low information voters off the fence to wake up and realize one day that, hey, the schools are crumbling. The schools are completely wrecked. The college, you can't go to this college and have your credits transfer anymore. Like literally it's, it's that bad. And the way this gets fixed is by getting rid of the people on that board who let this happen and made this happen in a lot of cases. So you also went to Maine, which is another area of the country that's a lot like North Idaho in terms of the racial makeup. It's mostly white. And you went to the northern part of Maine to research a guy by the name of Chris Pullhouse, who runs a group called Blood Tribe. What can you tell me about him? So Chris Pullhouse is a very, I don't want to use the word interesting, but it's to say he's anomalous among these groups because he's only been around on the scene for a couple of years. And in that time, he's been able to form what's really the fastest growing neo-Nazi group in America. And one of the things that's really alarming about Chris and his group is how overtly violent their rhetoric is. You know, he talks about making liberal women into war wives and says that because they have leftist views, they forfeited their right to reproductive autonomy. Then basically that's just, I mean, that's systemized sexual assault. Oh yeah. And he's also saying that there'd be some war, obviously he insists that he's not violent, but of course they all say that they all, they all say, say that. that. <laughs> they all do say that you're so right. They carry banners that say there will be blood mm-hmm. and they, you know, he praises the Charleston church shooter and other uh, violent actors, Hitler, right? right? I mean, a genocidal dictator bent on world domination. But he's not violent, you see. Not violent. No, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, sure, <laughs> Chris. And Chris, like he can, uh, as Jeff Tischhauser of the Southern Poverty Law Center told me, like Chris can be, Jeff follows him pretty closely. Chris can come across as like, you know, a nice guy. But then next thing you know, he just like flips a switch and there's just like all this rage coming out. So he had bought property in this tiny area, a tiny, tiny town. I mean, it's actually smaller than my hometown, Fallpool, West Virginia. And that's saying something because it's like my hometown's 500 people. And this one's like somebody, the technically it's 400 people. But one local said to me, it's like 200 on a good day. <laughs> and he bought 10 acres in this remote corner and he planned to create a settlement for the blood tribe where they're going to do training and they were going to, you know, live in tiny houses. Although kind of amusingly, the land, the property he bought, this didn't make it into the article, but the property he brought was like wetland and Ooh. you can't put septic in <laughs> in wetland. I mean, no, maybe not a really good purchasing choice. If, if you see 10 acres and you can buy it for $25,000, you might want to ask yourself why that is. Spend an extra few thousand, do a land survey. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Right. That was his plan. And when word got out, because word got out pretty quick, like, and right. 
Springfield, Maine. Somebody told me that there's somebody there who routinely will run background checks on anybody who moves to town. And so they knew who he was, what he stood for before it became known in the press. And man, they were not having it. Let me tell you what, those people were, they did not want to be known as the place those neo-Nazis live. Oh, hell no. Who does? (laughs) Right. So what did they do? How did they handle this when they found out they had this guy that was moving into town and was definitely going to do a lot more than lower the property values? Yeah. So there was a lot of public outcry about it. That was one thing. Uh, the state legislature proposed a law uh, to to really crack down on conducting paramilitary training. And that law was specifically designed to keep Chris and his group from doing what they had planned to do, but also anybody else who had the same kind of plans. Most of the states have laws to this effect, but Maine didn't. And then people told me, more than one person said to me, that if he stuck around that area, he might just disappear into the woods one day, never to be heard from again. (laughs) You know, who knows how serious it was or blustery that was. Uh, But I kept hearing it again and again from separate people. And I was like, I mean, I'm from West Virginia. I understand how things work in the woods, right? You you saw the area around Coeur d'Alene. There's a lot of forests and land that nobody ever gets to. And it would be years before anybody figured it out. But very true. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris ended up selling that property and he said it was too dangerous, <laughs> which is kind of amusing to me because he like he puts himself out there as this badass guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he films these like, oh, my God, these propaganda videos of himself, like twirling an AK-47 and frolicking around in the woods. Oh, yeah. Like he's this big hardcore guy and he he's always going on and on about how you need to get to the gym every day and oh, only simps don't go to the gym all the time, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you got kicked out of the gym in uh, Lincoln, Maine, Chris, <laughs> because you're a neo-Nazi. I heard you got thrown out of a pub once as well because you were causing a ruckus. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you're as big and bad as you like to say that you are, but. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And he's, He's out now. He's not going to try and do this main project. Have you heard anything about what he's up to next with this group? So he claims that he still has property in Maine. Um, I didn't see anything to suggest that that is true, although I didn't see anything to say that it's not. He says it's in other people's names, but he has said uh, some months ago before he had sold the property, because I started reporting on him uh, in September and he sold the property in October. Um, he had said that he'd had a really a lot of success recruiting in, and you'll love this, Griff, uh-huh. the yeah, Pacific yeah. Northwest. Of course he did. Of course he did. Yeah. Yeah. Because he did this like really huge road trip last year to recruit and network. Um, and he said Pacific Northwest was his top recruitment area, followed by the Southeast. So he claims that he's in Maine, but when he had the paperwork notarized, for the land transfer, he's, he used a notary in Montana. Mm-hmm. I think it's Belgrave, I think is the name of the town uh, where the notary was. Could mean nothing. He could have just been there. But I'd also, I've heard from other sources that he might be spending significant amounts of time in Montana. And then he's done multiple rallies in Wisconsin. So I would think that while there may be some activity in Maine continuing, maybe not, not sure. There's a pretty solid chance that you'll see him pop up in the Pacific Northwest and try to create a new headquarters there. Because that went so well for the last guy who tried it. What was that? Ronaldo <laughs> Nazaro and the base. Oh yeah. He's, he's living in Russia and the rest of those guys got arrested. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, yeah. Come on. <laughs> we'll Best see of luck. Cool. <laughs> Good luck with it. 
And you also stopped in Jacksonville, Florida to look up a guy named John Mendeo. He's the head of a group that calls itself the Goyam Defense League. Mm -hmm. And you've probably seen their banners because they've got the old George Lincoln Rockwell strategy from way back of making extremely controversial anti-Semitic banners and putting them up in very prominent places. And it seems like the news crews can't avoid actually filming this and putting it on TV. People can't avoid freaking out about this and sharing the website address, which is the whole goal that they're trying to get you to do here on Twitter millions of times. And they have a thing for protesting in a way that's going to get them that kind of big national attention. What did you find out about what they've got going down there? Because he's originally from California, if I remember right. He's not He's yes. not a Florida guy. Yeah. I can't remember the town that he lived in, but he was in California where he's from. And he got run out of town, basically, because right. of his anti-Semitism. So John, he moved to Florida because he thought that it would be a more welcoming place. A lot of people would say that's accurate. Florida has a huge white supremacist network that's existed for years. Our government, I live in Florida, it does a lot of things that white supremacists love. All the stuff against the you know LGBTQ community, all the stuff about banning books, the thing where you know the state curriculum requires them to teach public school students that slavery benefited some people who were held in bonds. Right. Uh, those things appeal to white supremacists like John. He moved here thinking that it was going to be like, you know, sunny pastures, welcome to Florida. And I don't know that his experience is lined up with that because he did spend 30 days in jail in West Palm at the end of last year. But John is like, you know, he's similar to some other Florida extremists. He comes for the flash in the show. He wants to get that confrontation. He wants right. to be out there publicly, have people confront him. You know, he's the guy who's standing outside a synagogue and yelling horrible things at people who go there on their way home and confronting them in their cars and filming it all. Right. Like that's his right, big deal. Right. He films it and then his audience eats it up. I mean, he's definitely one of the most prominent anti-Semitic influencers in the country. Though it does seem to me like, you know, John and Chris and Dave Riley and the Brimlows, it's interesting to me that they're all sort of like, they're either middle-aged or old people, you know, right. like who the heck is 40 years old and wants to stand outside Disney World shouting at strangers? I mean, what <laughs> kind of life is that? Doesn't seem like a good one to me. And you have to share space with this guy who's got tattoos all over his face that's known as Boneface, who's constantly telling lies yeah. about fighting in Ukraine and all of this other stuff. It's really a fascinating group of people he's managed to surround himself with, some of these guys yeah. down there. But for real, it's amazing that people haven't caught on to what John Mendeo is doing with the website, with the banners, that they are so for lack of a better term, reflexively controlled, that when they see this, they have to share it and they have to talk about, oh, look at all this horrible stuff. And they haven't figured out how to either crop the picture or just somehow Photoshop out the the website address that this guy's got going. Because part of the reason he's become such a prominent influencer is because he's managed to drive a lot of traffic to that website, mm -hmm. which I am rather pointedly not mentioning. And it seems like something we should be a little smarter about by this point. 
Is there much of an organized effort to deal with this guy and his group in Jacksonville? What, what are the, what are we seeing in terms of the pushback? So the city, after his group had done these laser light displays on the stadium during the Florida Georgia game, and they had just done them on various skyscrapers around town and other prominent locations in the region, actually, the city passed legislation that prohibits laser light displays without a permit. And since then, they've stopped. Okay. You know, one of the things that you don't really see, I think, enough of, although West Palm did it, um, where he got in trouble for basically littering because he sells these anti-Semitic flyers. Oh, right. And people put hundreds of them out there. But, you know, each one of those is a violation of civil or potentially even criminal statute. If you take photos of it, then go and distribute them and you've got 300 violations. Well, that is a lot of money, mm-hmm. even if it's only 100 bucks per one. Then that could rack up jail time, depending on what the local ordinances are. But, you know, you see the city council did that here. People thought it was a little bit, it took them a little too long to get around to doing it. Right. But then, you know, we've got a local representative here who wants to put back all the Confederate monuments. And Uh, people like John see that as a dog whistle. mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure John is all about having those Confederate monuments still up because that is, those are monuments to white supremacy, which is his big deal. And, you know, from the from the governor's office on down in this Republican-controlled state, you know, you'll see one day where Representative Randy Fine, who's the only uh, Jewish Republican in the legislature, is breaking with DeSantis because he doesn't think DeSantis is being strong enough on anti-Semitism and the hate groups in the state. But then the very fact that that is the case, that that is the perception that people have, you know, it tells people like John that they're welcome here. We'll see how true that is. Right. Um, but Florida has like gone from sort of a purple state to really solidly red in recent years. And part of that's people like John, people like Mike Flynn. Right. People like any number of groipers and other like right wing wackos who have moved to Florida and called it their home. Yeah, we were discussing this the other day. Somebody asked how DeSantis had done so well in 2022 in his election, how he had won by so many votes. And I went and looked and it's like Florida got a million new residents between 2018 and 2022. And what do you want to bet? A very large percentage of those people probably voted for him. It's very much a case of like a state that's gotten far more conservative as time goes on. And it's interesting that you mentioned that about the littering charges that they got him with. There was actually a guy who was doing a very similar move up in North Idaho a few years back His name was Scott Rhodes, and he ran a podcast called The Road to Power. And he was allied with a guy named Patrick Little, who ran for Senate in California against Dianne Feinstein in the Democratic primary. And Little was this horrible and notorious anti-Semite. So Rhodes was putting out very similar flyers to what John Mendow is doing now. And he was also doing robocalls. And that's what they finally ended up getting him for. He was putting robocalls out. And the FCC finally noticed and slapped him with like a $10 million fine Mm. for all the robocalls that he had done. So it gets me wondering if maybe enforcing some of these existing laws against some of these guys isn't a way that would be very effective to deal with some of them. Maybe put them under a microscope and be like, what law are you breaking when you go out and you leave anti-Semitic flyers in a plastic bag on somebody's lawn with some rocks in it. You know, what are you, what are you potentially going to be in trouble for on this? So you've 
taken a, a trip around the country. You've seen all of this stuff that's going on. How do you feel in terms of like your sense of, are we getting worse? Are we getting better? Where are you at, you know, in terms of being optimistic or pessimistic about the state of things in this country these days? That's a good question. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I am really worried about what the next year is going to bring. You know, the first time Trump was elected, we saw Unite the Right. right. The second time when he lost, uh, we saw a mass of people try to overturn democracy. What's going to happen leading up to this next election? We know that the far right, these hate groups, they're going to be very vocal. They're going to be out in your face. They're going to be doing everything they can to get eyeballs and clicks and attention for various purposes. Some of it just their own selfish means, some of their some of it because they do hope to influence politics. I hope we don't see violence or loss of life, but I do think that it is very likely that we will. Yeah. In Jacksonville, you know, for an example, there was the Dollar General shooter. You can't say that's a political act, but it was a racist mass shooter who idolized Dylan Roof, who was a racist mass shooter, right. who was radicalized online. Mm -hmm. Maybe people like John think that they can just say these hateful things about Jews and everybody else and, you know, insist that it's not violent. Same with Christopher Polehouse. But other people are consuming that content. A lot of them young men, mm -hmm. a lot of them disaffected people. There's a lot of commonalities that we see between these types and some of them, quite frankly, unhinged. And what are they going to do? I don't think the nation is about to fall. I don't believe that the Brimlows are even right that we're going to see a national divorce or secession, but I think we're going to see a lot more polarization until we get it together. So yeah, a little bit optimistic about the long term, <laughs> but very worried about the short term. Right. So how can people support you in the work that you're doing? You can see my work at dailydot.com. You can follow me online. I'm on all the profiles, even the scary, nasty ones. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah dailydot.com is the best place to see my work. Well, Claire, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me about it. Again, the piece is Nazi Land. It's in the Daily Dot, and it's a four-section article about all the things we talked about today. It goes into much more depth, and it's fascinating. It's absolute must-read. So thank you very much, Claire. I appreciate your time today, and you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com. Please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at GrizzaBJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNWPod. We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.